Hey folks, this is uh, David opposing the Matrix, and um, well, last night I tried to do a show, <laughs> and you know, living out in the country has its pluses, it really does, but one of them is, that's not a plus, is uh, internet connectivity, and uh, I don't know, I- I'm going to have to really check this from now on, because uh let me explain what happened. So I started a show. I had everything, the show I'm doing tonight, I was going to do last night. And I started to do it and everything. And everything was going really well. And then all of a sudden, while I was trying to play one of the videos that I wanted to show, and I will show tonight, um, I looked at this Ouroboros thing going round and round and round and round. And the video wasn't playing. And of course, it's when I got up to get a cup of coffee and to relax for a minute, you know. And uh, thankfully, when I lost the internet connectivity, uh, everything was gone. So um, anyway, I got into uh, Twitch and I got rid of that. And then I got, went into um, Twitter and I got rid of that too. So, but uh, yeah, there was about seven or eight minutes of me just standing there like, or sitting there in the chair like, <laughs> it was it was embarrassing, but I think we caught it before <clears throat> anything was you know anything bad happened and um and then when I went to end the stream, it wouldn't end the stream, so it was just a mess. I ended up ending the stream about a half an hour ago, maybe forty five minutes ago. It wasn't an active stream, but the the software was saying it was still going, and so I had to shut the thing off and to turn it back on well, anyway, <clears throat> enough for. Um, explaining what was happening, um, yesterday, um, tomorrow night I had, uh, a friend from Israel, um, scheduled to come on, but with all this internet stuff going on, um, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm praying and hoping that this show will, will be okay. Um, the only thing I can figure is I was using the hotspot on my phone last night. Maybe that just went kapooey, but, um, I'm going to keep my eye on this thing down here. And if it says it shows a globe, if it shows a globe with lines and across and down, I'll know that we don't have a show anymore, but um, so far so good. So tonight we're going to be talking about the power of sound. Um, I, for one, was really intrigued when I read the words of Yeshua in scripture and they asked him, um, you know, what's going to be the sign of your coming and your return? And he went on and talked about several things, but he started out by saying it was going to be like the days of Noah. And years ago, that started me on a trek to find out what the days of Noah were like. Um, thankful to uh, Dr. Kent Hovine, who uh, has done a bunch of studies to to show um, what that world might have looked like. Uh, there are some other uh, physicists and doctors that have done the same thing biologists and archaeologists and our friend Jonathan Gray has looked into this extensively and I'm thankful to him too and um, so what I've gathered is that before the flood um, human civilization was very advanced and it advanced very uh, very quickly uh, because the fallen angels brought technology down and introduced it to humans and it was like them put, holding a match above uh, <clears throat> a bunch of pine needles. All they had to do was drop the match 
and technology took off because man, uh, contrary to uh, current scientific opinion, ancient man was not stupid. He was very intelligent. He grew stupid over the years. Um, and then I also believe that, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if Noah brought books or whatever, but uh, he brought knowledge from the pre-flood world into the post-flood world. And, um, and so technology rose again and flourished. And then as it does so many times, mankind becomes arrogant and ignorant and um, happens to give up on things. And uh, for instance, we have the medieval times. You know, with um, all the little kingdoms around Europe and and the forgetting of knowledge of ancient Rome and ancient Egypt and everything else. Uh, not that that knowledge for forgetting that knowledge is a bad thing, but some of the things were probably should have been carried over, but they've been rediscovered in recent years. And we know from uh, Ecclesiastes and from George Centignana that um, history repeats itself. Okay. Those who, uh, said, those who um, refuse to learn history are doomed to repeat it. That's a loose paraphrase, okay? So, uh, anyway, and it looks like we're, we're forgetting again because uh, our society is going into a period of barbarism that uh, will probably never have been uh, before and uh, will never be equaled again, okay? Uh, Yeshua called it the great, De oh, actually, Paul called it the great delusion. Okay, and uh, we see ourselves falling into that now, man. Just look at the news. Look at the news, what they report, and what's actually happening. And you wonder why people are confused. My goodness. The news is saying one thing about Bo uh, Bosnia. <laughs> one thing about Ukraine and and people that are in Ukraine are saying a different thing. I mean, the, the real people that are in Ukraine, not the crisis actors. Okay. Um, so... We're going to look at tonight and see that um, ancient man was able to cut stone with sound, which I think is amazing. And I wish I could utilize, too, because I've got lots of rocks out in that yard, like the pulverize them. Um, we're going to talk about sound's effect on water briefly, because it has lots of effect on water. Uh, we're going to look at the buoyancy of sand, and, and it's going to show us how um, sand can become even more permeable if uh, sound waves are put through it. Um, we're going to see um, a video, a brief video of, um, of sound waves lifting stones and rocks. And I'm not talking small stones or rocks either. You'll see. Um, we're going to look, learn a bit about uh, cell wall structures. And when you watch this video, this it's kind of like he's this guy. His name is David. No, it's not me. Um, but. He, it's like he's teaching an adult and kids at the same time, and he has a stupid animated goldfish in his uh, in his tank that talks back to him. So, you know, realize that he's trying to teach kids as well as adults, okay? All right. Because I had a hard time with it myself. I felt like it was a Disney uh, explanation of physics. Um, we're going to look at um, COVID... Uh, the COVID, and I'm going to say infection, the way it operates, I'm still not convinced it's a virus, okay? Um, and if you know me and you've listened to any things in the past, you know I come to that conclusion because they were fighting it with uh, hydro hydroxychloroquine and uh, an antibiotic. Antibiotics are only good against bacteria, and 
Hydrochloroquine is an anti-malarial drug and malaria, malaria is a parasite. So they're fighting a virus with par parasite meds and, and it's working. So anyway, I reserve the right to, to call it something other than a virus. But since they're calling it a virus, let's look at how a virus works and, and, um, and we're going to look at, um, something about called ACE receptors, angiotensin, um, to, um, uh, I want to try to say angiotensin two receptor blockers. Okay. You'll learn about receptors if you don't know about them already. Um, in between, um, well, you'll see. Okay. Um, we're also going to look at a 5G, uh, actually a 5G, uh, no, it's a COVID map. Sorry. COVID-19 map from last year. And you're going to notice something and I'm going to point out to you. It's going to be awesome, actually. Um, now, our generation with the baby boomers and grew up with um, radio waves all around us. Okay. We had first had radio waves and we had television waves, which were in um, ultra high frequency and very high frequency. Okay. And and then we started getting the cell phones, which are, you know, you're turning, getting into gigahertz and, and now they've got radio frequencies and terahertz and probably even higher that we don't know about or that very few people know about. So I find it awful interesting that our generation and the ones after it are the sickest generations in a long time. Okay. I've had my share of health problems and it's not just diet. It's also external factors, I do believe. Okay. If you're like us, you have your Wi-Fi hooked up. And if you're smart, you unhook it at night before you go to bed. Um, so you have your Wi-Fi. You have your television playing during the day. Um, nowadays, I don't think, I think television is pretty innocuous. They don't, they just take information from us instead of giving us cancer but back in the old days when i was a kid we had those cathode ray tubes and i always remember my grandfather um i'd sit about five feet away from the tv he'd say move back and sit on the couch you don't want to be that close and i asked him why and he says two two things it's not good for your eyesight and i think he was right about that and he said and there's radiation coming off of that now how he knew that back then i don't know my grandfather was a very smart man and he read a lot so he he knew, but, um, so anyway, um, uh, so we grew up with that and then we have cell phones and, and you can, you can search online, just type in cell phone radiation and cancer. Folks, don't put that thing up to your ear. Please don't put it up to your ear. Don't keep it in your pocket, especially if you're a guy. Um, it, uh, it kind of ruins the stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, it makes you. You can't, how do I say this? It, it, uh, it makes you sterile. Okay. That's what it does. That's a good way to put it. Um, and it may affect, affect you in other ways too. And, um, and women are, you know, they always have that phone up to their head talking. I, I swear. Uh, one day I made a, a comment at work when I was down in, in uh, Sacramento and I said, it would be really nice if we had an electro, electromagnetic pulse just for one day. You know, and just to watch everybody 
kind of walk around aimlessly as they didn't have their cell phones or computers anymore. Um, my generation, we didn't have computers uh, for the longest time. They came out in the 1980s and still a lot of people didn't have it. They started getting popular with my generation more in the 90s and then the 2000s, of course. And and there are people of the the uh, the greatest generation, the one before mine, that, that um, are totally befuddled and confused when they sit in front of a computer. Uh, my dad was alive. I was getting phone calls three and four times a week. And uh, the funniest thing that ever happened, I got to tell you, this, this is hilarious. So he he learned how to delete files. And he had a program on there called WinFax. And back then it was a program that you used. You could fax stuff to people. And and he really liked it. Well, it's it started getting buggy on him. And he decided he didn't want WinFax anymore. Instead of going to the uh, control panel and, and going to... Um, you know, where you can get rid of your programs and task manager. He decided to go into the root directory and delete everything that had win in front of it. And he ended up calling me and he says, my computer's not working. And, and I, I think I remember going up in my head, I was going, yeah, no kidding. It's, you know, it's like that three times a week. Um, and I said, what did you do? He says, well, I went to the root directory and I deleted everything that had win in front of it. And I says, well, you, you effectively killed Windows. Uh, it's not going to work. Take it to a shop. Uh, I would have done it for him, except he lived uh, two and a half hours from me. And um, I was kind of busy at the time. So anyway, he learned the hard way. He had to pay for a tech to put the um, to put Windows back on his computer. It's probably a good thing, too. He probably had a bunch of junk on there that he downloaded or he probably had worms or viruses or bugs of some kind on there. Um, so anyway, this, the computer, um, well, I don't, it's in a metal box. Okay. And this one it is anyway, you might have a plastic box, but, um, so if it is thrown off any radiation, I think it's just hitting the metal and going right back. That's the nice thing about radio waves. Um, a lot of times they'll hit the, the, um, the metal, that's they're encased in and in it's null and void. Um, all my life I've heard, you know, don't hang out under power lines. Uh, don't live under power lines. Now, some people may, and you know, we got to throw the element of faith in here because if you live under power lines and you're a believer and you believe that God's going to save you from everything bad that can happen, then yeah. That's good. And, and he'll honor that. And you probably won't have the ill effects of living, living under those electromagnetic fields. But, uh, those things throw off a pretty good field. You could sit under them and, or stand under them, whatever. And, uh, you can actually feel the electricity in the air and you can hear the hum of the wires too. And that's really freaky. Um, I, I really give a lot of credit to those guys that work on those things because I know I would make a mistake. It would send me flying about 150 feet in the air and, and, I'd land dead. So, um, another thing we didn't have when I was younger is microwave ovens. Okay. Those came out, uh, probably in the eighties, late seventies, eighties. They really started getting popular. My, my aunt Lois and uncle John had, um, one of the first microwaves on the block. They were always trendsetters like that. You know, the first microwave, the first color TV, we had the second one. Um, and stuff like that. And back then they were called radar ranges for a good reason. <laughs> it's basically radar within a box. Okay. Putting out all those waves and exciting the molecules in the food so much that they rub against each other and make heat. Okay. 
So we have micro. Oh, it's a funny thing because I, I don't know where I put it, but um, I bought a little Geiger counter um, a couple of weeks ago, and <laughs> I walked up in front of the microwave, and so far it's the only thing in here that was that active. But I put it in front of the microwave. You know, I stood right in front of it. And man, that thing turned red right away and gave me some readings. And as I backed back, I had to get back probably about five feet from it, and then I didn't get any readings anymore. So don't stand in front of the microwave unless you want to fry yourself. Okay. Um, we went into cathode ray tubes, um, smart meters. A lot of electric companies are putting in smart, smart meters because what they do is they use 5G and they communicate with every other smart meter on your blog or in your neighborhood. And then they send all that information to the electric company. Well, that 5G is not good for you. So uh, there are ways you can get around it. Okay. Um, you can, if you have one that's, you know, directly on a wall uh, next to a living space that you're in, um, I would get a big piece of um, whatever, even if it's just a sheet of aluminum and hang it up behind that thing on in the inside uh, behind the electrical panel or the, um, the meter and you know, screw it into your wall at home and then you know or you can put a picture with aluminum foil on the back of it that would work too but um a lot of people what they're doing is they're they're putting faraday cages over these things and and uh, the electric company doesn't like it and you could get fined for doing it but um a faraday cage is basically a piece of metal screen like you have on your window and um you just wrap it around the meter and it Kind of like the uh, the grill on your microwave, but it works a little better than that. Um, it takes the radiation and keeps it inside the meter. Uh, the only thing is that it kind of, um, not very badly, but it kind of uh, interferes with the, the signal that the meter is trying to send to all the other signals. Well, get all your neighbors together and everybody put Faraday cages on and they won't come out and look, <laughs> you know. Uh, but smart meters are pretty dangerous. Um, the Wi-Fi in your house, we talked about that earlier, you know. Um, yeah, I guess it's okay to have it on during the day when you're using it. Um, personally, I would put it as far away from anybody as everybody as I could and still get a good reception, that is. Um, but I wouldn't keep it around too close. Now, yeah, people would be like, well, my phone is micro, is, uh, is Wi-Fi. Yeah, to a certain degree, but that's, that field doesn't go out very far. Okay. There was a good video on, um, on YouTube. I don't know if it's still there and I don't know what it would be called, but it was, uh, a video of three people. They had their cell phones and they put like five or six grains of popcorn in the center because they had all the antennas pointing towards each other's phones. And they went, I guess, maybe to their home phones or something and called and it actually popped the popcorn. Well, that's telling you something right there. If it can fry popcorn, it can fry your brain. Okay. So please don't put that thing up to your ear. I think the increase in glioblastomas and other brain cancers is the direct cause of cell phones. Okay. <laughs> other kinds of noise pollution. Um I don't know if, who, who I'm speaking to out there, but I'll just tell you my experience. I've, when I was younger, I used to go to a lot of rock concerts. Um, I listened to 
Uh, I went and saw the tubes a couple of times. You probably never heard of them. I think they were just local in California down in the Bay Area. Um, but I saw Blue Oyster Cult once and um, Ted Nugent two or three times and other bands that I can't remember right now. <clears throat> and um, And then, well, first of all, I noticed that if you were up close to the speakers and they had a high bass going, Man, you could feel it going right through your body. You could feel it beating in your chest. And and I'm wondering if that's affecting heart muscle. I, I don't know for sure, but it sure sounds right. But anyway, um, and then if you don't have earplugs in, you spend half the next day trying to get your hearing back. You know that personally. Um, but um, so anyway, I came to faith in Yeshua, of course, and started going to Christian bands and, you know, same thing the electric guitar and it was really loud and and the bass and the drum the bass drum too when it gets played i could actually feel it in my chest um and i know a lot of you have done that you felt the same thing too so that sound waves going into your into your thorax your thoracic uh cavity and uh and bouncing things around (laughs) okay um and i don't know how good that is either Okay, what about ultrasonic weapons? We hear that, um, you know, you want to take this to the nth degree. Um, I heard <clears throat> that in, um, I don't know if it was Baghdad or, or in Afghanistan somewhere, but there was a, um, a bus of insurgents, or let's call them terrorists, that's what they are. Um, and they were, you know, shooting back and it was hard for them to get them out of there. So what they did is they focused the beam weapon at them. And it actually caught all the guys inside on fire. Okay. Um, it sounds like an extremely intense microwave beam to me uh, or a particle beam, but um, it killed all of them and it didn't really do much to the bus except I think broke the windows. Um, and then what about microwave beam weapons? Okay. Uh, might be a, a different thing than ultrasonic. I don't know. Maybe they're both falling into the same category. But those weapons are available. Uh, I've heard of uh, them being used in crowd dispersal at riots and in demonstrations. People start feeling sick. They don't feel well. Causes them to break off from the demonstration or riot or whatever and go home. Although there's so much adrenaline going through a person's body during a riot, I doubt it affects them any. But um, maybe there's somebody out there that's got expertise in that. They can write to me about it. Okay, if you may not have <clears throat> remembered or may not have heard of it, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, probably about 10 years ago, maybe even longer now, time goes so fast, it's hard to keep a track, but um, there was a uh, a case, at least one case, and I think it was, was it the U.S. Embassy? It was either in Cuba or Venezuela, I can't remember. Might have been the Soviet Union. I think it was the Soviet Union or Russia. Um, that a lot of the workers are starting to feel sick, run down, uh, run down tired, um, couldn't perform their jobs correctly. Their minds started wandering and, you know, um, all the signs of, you know, the beginning of a mental illness. And then they realized that, uh, when the embassy was built, it was built by the workers of that country and they installed devices in the walls that were uh, sending sound waves into the into the building and just really messing with people's health, both mental and physical. So there's another thing. Um, 
Oh, and one of my pet peeves, these knuckleheads that have these cars that have these big bass speakers in them to where you can feel it going through your chest when, when you're next to them. And you look at their cars and their windows are shaking every time that bass goes off and the car even shakes a little bit. <clears throat> and you got to think, okay, if it's not harming them with the sound waves going into the body, it's doing a heck of a number on their eardrums, right? So, and most of the, most of the time, these, these, these folks that have this are either into drugs, not all the time. Okay. Drugs are, um, or they come from, um, less affluent neighborhoods. And what used to tick me off is like, you know, if somebody wants to hurt themselves with, with sound waves, that's fine with me, you know, just don't take anybody else out with it, you know, but again, with the way the social situation is here in the United States, and I'm sure some of our listeners are from other countries that have, that are going down the socialist road, so to speak. And, um, and you know darn well that when these guys get to be 30s, late 30s or 40s or 50s, their hearing is going to start to go out. So then your taxes are going to be going to buying hearing aids, uh, testings at audiologists' offices, um, Maybe even by then there'll be surgeries to fix their, their ears. And, um, it just, you know, it's like, don't do that guys, because you're, um, <clears throat> you're taking from the system and it doesn't need to be. I've, I've had it with cigarette smokers too. You know, <laughs> we had one lady that used to come into the pharmacy and she had emphysema really bad and what was a month's worth of an inhaler she'd use up in a week and she was on medical which is the the medica- medicaid system in california and she uh oh i'm out of my inhaler and medical didn't really like to grant prior auths or early authorizations and uh and i'd explain to her you know or one of us would you know we can't work it right now it's too early well, you know, I'm really, I can't breathe. And, and and then she'd go up and light up a cigarette outside. And I'm like, this is medical fraud as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know. Um, so if you're going to drink and destroy your lungs, take the responsibility of destroying your lungs and don't put it on society. Um, if you're a drinker and you pickle your liver, then... Don't blame it on society or cause society to suffer, okay? Unless you've contributed into society. I mean, if you paid into the system, that's a different story, okay? But um, anyway, wow, I used up a whole half hour on that little diatribe. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and hit this, and it's going to make me a lot smaller as you can see and we're going to look at different videos this is about um them using sound waves to cut stone this video is um hold on a sec folks let me go there and and look um uh, okay here we go it's up here all righty this video is oh it's only 11 minutes long okay 
I thought it was a lot longer than that. Anyway, you might find out some interesting things. You might know all this stuff already, and, and but others haven't, so we're going to go ahead and play it. But, um, yeah, the ancients were not the uh, bumbling idiots, the the cavemen that the scientists want us to believe existed on Earth at one time. Um, they were quite advanced, and the only way that they would become bumbling idiots or cavemen would be if they... Um, if they became that way through ignorance and uh, uh, the crashing of a social order, so to speak. Uh, yeah, there were probably cavemen. I do believe there were, but well, when you come out of a flood that lasted a whole year um, and you have nothing to build with and the rocks are even still wet and, and forming, where do you live? You go live in a cave somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, it offer you protection from the elements and, uh, Anyway, it's it's not rocket science. It's not hard to figure out. So I pray and ask that everybody uses their brain and their power of prayer to ask for God to explain things to them. And you'd be surprised what he'll do. He'll explain everything to you. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, and start this. And uh, we will watch this in other videos. And then we can talk in between the videos or I'll talk in between the videos and um, we can go from there. So here we go. Here's number one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ancient Architects. In one of my previous videos, I discussed a theory put forward by Professor Ivan Watkins that states that the ancient people of the world were able to cut stone by harnessing the power of the sun. Many, including myself, do not believe that simple tools were enough to create some of the truly wondrous ancient stone monuments seen on just about every continent of the world, from Machu Picchu in South America to the Giza Plateau in Egypt. There is a body of thought that strongly believes that ancient aliens are responsible, but I've never seen any credible evidence to believe such a theory. Of course, you could interpret ancient writings images and structures in a number of different ways, but I believe there was once a far more advanced civilization that collapsed at the end of the last ice age, the remnants of which became scattered around the world. One thing is for sure, certain ancient monuments do show advanced methods of stonework, but I believe that it wasn't due to the use of electricity and power tools, but a more efficient technology that harnessed natural forces such as the sun, wind, water or sound. The technology has not been recorded in history, but if natural forces were harnessed, there wouldn't be much evidence recorded in the archaeological record, apart from the product of that technology, which is what we see in the form of perfectly drilled granite, intricate diorite vases and perfectly fitting irregular stone walls. You can't just drill or shape stone in the way you can wood or metal, especially hard stones like granite or diorite, as they are made from extremely hard interlocking minerals that wear down tools before any real progress can even be made. The ancient stone and metal tools that we are told were used would have very little impact on hard igneous rocks, so archaeology is certainly missing something. In the modern age, it takes diamond-tipped tools and lots of cooling fluid to achieve the feats of stonemasonry that we see in the distant past, 
and even now it is a relatively slow and difficult process. Which brings us to another theory for how they achieved it, by harnessing the power of sound. Tuning forks, vibrations, sonic drilling and acoustic levitation are all ways that sound can be utilised for technological gain and are all scientifically feasible using not just modern but ancient methods and materials. So how does sonic drilling work? Well, in simple terms, when sound vibrations of a specific frequency are sent through a drill bit or even through something as simple as a metal pipe, it can vibrate in such a way to act like a very high frequency jackhammer. The drill barely needs to turn as the vibrational impacts and shattering do the job. Compared to conventional drilling, the method is actually faster, puts less wear on the tool bit and takes less energy. Conceivably, you can even turn the handle of a large tuning fork into a cutting rod, whether a drill tube or a drill bit. Even a copper tube could conceivably cut into granite using this method. To turn a tuning fork into a sonic drill, the resonant frequency of the cutting rod must match the frequency of the fork that is attached to it. Scientifically, the way it works is that traverse vibrations from the fork prongs, known as tines, move the bottom of the U-shape up and down, which sends longitudinal vibrations through the cutting rod. At the rod's resonant frequency, these vibrations create standing waves, with maximum vibration at the beginning and the end of the rod, and there is a point of no vibration in the middle, where a handle could be attached. For example, tines 30cm long and 3cm thick make a resonant frequency of 1100Hz and would require a 1.5 meter long rod to allow cutting, as pictured here. Notice how long the rod is relative to the fork and how it actually looks like a trident or harpoon. It could even function as such if the tines were sharpened. In Egyptian mythology, the falcon god Horus is associated with harpoons, but maybe the clearest evidence for sonic drilling has been staring us in the face for millennia. One common symbol or object that is seen so often in ancient Egyptian art is the scepter. It appears in relics, art and hieroglyphs associated with the ancient Egyptian religion. Known as the Was Scepter, it is a long, straight staff with a forked end. The opposite end is sometimes seen to be a stylized animal head, but maybe this is actually a cutting implement. The scepter was a symbol of power and dominion, and although it has a number of other mythological and symbolic associations, maybe the true meaning got lost through the dynastic history of ancient Egypt. What became a symbol of power, maybe once, was literally an object of power. But mainstream historians and archaeologists attest that traditional stone and metal tools were used to create stone blocks and ornaments. And this is all because of depictions of the art of stoneworking in wall reliefs from the 5th dynasty all the way up to the 26th dynasty. But, for a start, when you analyse drilled granite, it is clear that these methods certainly did not create the boreholes. When you look at the holes that do not go all the way through the granite, the circumference of the circular hole has a deeper groove, implying it was created with a metal pipe. And it wouldn't be possible to cut into granite simply using a metal pipe, sand and manual labour, as we are led to believe. 
What's the problem here? There's no, you know, without a steady stream of water, you're not getting new material in there to do the cutting action. You're not getting rid of the old powder, which is just interfering with the drill going down. But you can cut granite efficiently and quickly with a metal pipe if you use sonic drilling methods. In ancient Egyptian images, we do see the use of simple hand tools to make stone vases and bowls, but such a method, even in conjunction with sand, wouldn't be able to efficiently grind stone such as granite or diorite, and create the striations or tool marks that we see inside drilled Egyptian artefacts. Furthermore, the most amazing and most difficult stonework created from the hardest stones are usually Old Kingdom, predating the 5th dynasty and many were actually pre-dynastic. There is no doubt that the stonework from the 5th dynasty onwards could have been created from the simple stone tools shown, as the rock used to make such artefacts was usually softer, such as alabaster, sandstone and limestone. The oldest depiction of a rock drill is a hieroglyph known as U24 in Gardner's 1957 guide. This is first seen in a 3rd dynasty tomb at Saqqara. Maybe the hieroglyph is actually depicting a tuning fork tool and not a depiction of a traditional hand crank rock drill, as we are told. Some researchers believe they have found ancient Egyptian carvings of two tuning forks attached by wires on a statue of Isis and Anubis, shown here. This is one way you could get them to resonate to a specific frequency for a prolonged amount of time to cut stone without hitting them with a hammer. Interestingly, on the website keelinet.com, there is an email that was sent to the website that stated, do you know about the tuning forks which were discovered by Egyptologists who, presumably, because they were unable to ascribe a utility to these items, deemed them to be anomalous? Some years ago, an American friend picked the lock of a door leading to an Egyptian museum storeroom. Inside, she found hundreds of what she described as tuning forks. These ranged in size from approximately 8 inches to approximately 8 or 9 feet overall, and resembled catapults, but with a taut wire stretched between the tines of the fork. She insists, incidentally, that these were definitely non-ferrous, but steel. These objects resembled a letter U with a handle, a bit like a pitchfork, and when the wire was plucked, they vibrated for a prolonged period. It occurs to me to wonder if these devices might have had hardened tool bits attached to the bottom of the handles, and if they might have been used for cutting or engraving stone, once they had been set vibrating. Of course, I have no way of verifying this email that was actually sent in 1997, but it is certainly interesting in that it confirms the carving on the statue of Isis and Anubis of two tuning forks connected by wires. There is also this image from a Sumerian cylinder seal showing a musical scene and a musician is clearly seen holding a tuning fork. The technology, I'm sure, is ancient, and not an 18th century invention as we are led to believe. Whatever the truth, independent researchers have proved that you can bore holes through solid rock with copper tubing using sonic drilling methods. 
and with new research into ancient megalithic sites across the world, we are finding out that acoustics were widely understood by the ancients and were certainly taken into account when building stone structures. This relatively new line of archaeological research is known as archaeoacoustics and is observed at sites such as Stonehenge in England, Adam's Calendar in South Africa and Gebekli Tepe in Turkey, not to mention the Great Pyramid of Egypt. They all share unquestionable acoustic properties that could well have amplified sound waves to vibrate forked tools at a constant pitch and allow the seemingly advanced method of stone cutting that has eluded historical researchers for so long. Thank you for watching this episode of Ancient Architects. Please subscribe to the channel, please like this video and please leave a comment below. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Ancient Architects is a very interesting site, folks. You ought to go there. <clears throat> this is just a small example of what's, what you can find on that site. Um, okay. All right, there we go. Um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting, huh? I've, I've got half a mind to do this myself um, just to see if it works and if I do, I'll take a video of it and let you know, okay? I'm not that astute when it comes to this kind of information, but hey, let's see. Never can tell, right? Okay, but it just goes to show you, too, that um, the ancients had technologies that we're just starting to now learn of. And when you think about it, the, uh, the Egyptians were just barely post-flood, okay? As were many um, the Mesopotamians, the, um, you name it, okay? And they would have had to rely on the knowledge of using powers of wind, sun, and things like that because they didn't have the infrastructure like we do nowadays. Um, they don't have, a, they didn't have electrical plants. They didn't have... Uh, or I should say generating plants. Um, they didn't have uh, the mode of operation that we have, although they may have, who knows? Um, if you look at the, uh, I, I'm going to murder this name, Mahabharabra. <laughs> Marabra. Anyway, it's an ancient Indian text. And it talks about flying Vamanas and, uh, and things like that. So um, there may have been uh, a degree of uh, some, high oh i'm trying to say high tech advancement um before the world fell again into um a lackadaisical uh world of uh agri <laughs> you know just farming and stuff like that so anyway i'm sorry i'm just uh <clears throat> sometimes i'm at a loss for words I know that a lot of people are happy when they hear that, but uh, anyway, so I guess the next one we're going to see um, has to do with sound and water. And this is really interesting because this guy takes sound and he can make the actual water actually look like it's going backwards. Um, he can bend it all different ways and everything else. It just goes to show you that um, sound affects water and um, and different things like that. So. You know, the, the thought came to my mind now. I don't want to appear to be sacrilegious, okay? 
I do believe that God parted the Red Sea using Moses, okay? Um, but that he's the one that parted the Red Sea. And it could have been, um, and I do think it's, it was probably uh, angels holding back the water. But the angels were not seen. And that means that they were operating in a different dimension than this uh, linear dimension that we live in. And uh, were they using sound to hold the Red Sea apart so that the, but you know, the interesting thing is, is they walked across as on dry land. So there's another miraculous thing. So someday when we all get to, or those of us that are going, when we all get to um, Shemaim, uh, to be with the Lord, that's a Hebrew word for, uh, uh, for heaven. And, uh, perhaps he'll explain it to us if we want to learn. I think it's just going to be so blown away that we're not going to ask questions, but who knows? Okay. So let's go to the next one here. Speaker, rubber hose, water source. Secure hose to the speaker. Turn on the water. The water is flowing. Produce 24 hertz sound wave. That's amazing. The water looks like it's just standing there, not even falling. That is really something else. If you're listening to this, you're not seeing this, I suggest that maybe you uh, tune into several different places where you can get this show um, video and check it out. One of the places is uh, delusionresistance.org. And you can uh, go to the archive page and find it there. Reverse effect. That's pretty neat. The water looks like it's going backwards. It's all by vibrating the hose using sound waves. Amazing. Well, that was a quick one, huh? But again, you can see how water is affected by sound waves. And it does some amazing things. All right, what's the next one we got here? Let me read my notes. Uh, it may be something else, but there's uh, lifting stones, and then there's another one that's, um, that I don't have. Oh, buoyancy of sand. Okay, so it's one of those two. Let's see which one it is. 
Okay, the buoyancy of sand. of sand. Now we can use this as a model for understanding the buoyancy of liquids and also the buoyancy of gases. So let's take a closer look. It was Archimedes that explained that buoyancy is an upward force that's exerted by a fluid against an object. If the object's heavier than the fluid, the object will sink. In this case, gravity is actually forcing the brick down through the particles of the water. There is still an upward buoyant force, but it's just not enough to lift this brick. Now, since the styrofoam weighs less than water, it floats. If I submerge it, the buoyant force will push it up through the water because the buoyant force is actually greater than the weight of the styrofoam. The same holds true for gases. This glove has air in it, so it sinks. It's too heavy for the air to support it. This glove, however, has helium in it. So the helium is, is light enough to compensate for the weight of the glove, so this glove floats. <laughs> now let's take a look at the same experiment in a bucket of sand. This steel ball is heavier than sand particles, ping pong ball is lighter than sand particles, but neither one is moving. The reason is the particles of sand just have too much friction to allow either ball to move either downward or upward. In this case, the buoyant... Remember this, folks, it's going to be important coming up because the sand is a semi-permeable layer, okay, and the sound waves affect it in a way that, theoretically, I believe that... Uh, COVID-19 is able to enter a cell. Here we go. We'll continue. The force can overcome the frictional force. Now, on the bottom of this bucket is a little toy motor with a piece of wood attached to it. And when I run electricity through it, it spins, it shakes the bottom of the bucket, and that's going to make the sand inside the bucket move. It's going to put the particles in motion. So what do you think the movement of the sand particles will do to the friction? Well, let's see. With the particles of sand now in motion, it's reducing the friction and we get a better idea of the buoyant force of sand. The heavier steel balls can push down through that sand and the sand's able to lift up those particles that are lighter than the sand. So this is the same type of behavior that particles of a liquid or particles of a gas apply to objects when they're submerged in either one of those types of fluids. Now, what I found interesting was is that um, the sand, when that was happening, wasn't all going in one direction. It was all just kind of vibrating there. And um, and because it was vibrating, it actually became loose. It's, it's very similar to liquefaction during an earthquake, um, where the 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 sound be, uh, the, the the soil becomes um, aqueous. Um, because the shaking actually pushes the water up and makes the water lighter than this than the uh, ground that's covering it. It's very interesting, actually. And um, so, anyway, that having been said, let's go to the next one. 
that's pretty interesting. And, and please remember that because it's a really good um, example of the cell. And when we look at the cell with uh, Crazy Dave, um, we'll get to see exactly how that can be overcome. Next video. Okay, this is a really interesting video. It, um, those look like real rocks too. They don't look like they're made out of styrofoam either. Okay, so let's, uh, see what happens with this. I thought that was real interesting because those rocks are pretty heavy. And did you notice that one big rock that they lifted it, that almost like they needed to really bounce it up in the air before the, um, before the, the quieter sound waves took over, but it worked. And that's the important thing. So what are we seeing so far? It can, it can um, basically liquid, I don't want to say liquefy. Uh, upset the balance of sand. It can make water bend. It can, sound can do a lot of different things. And I think it's a technology that bears further um, exploration. Um, I think it, we could probably imagine being able to replace cranes um, and even loaders. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's just amazing to watch. So I think that's the only one I want to show there. Okay, let's move to the next one. Hey, it's okay. Professor Dave. Let this guy's the Professor Dave I told you about. He's a really nice guy, I'm sure. Um, if he didn't have the, the goldfish here talking to him, it would be a lot better. But um, they say the genius is one step away, one is close to the line of, uh, that separates genius from insanity. So it's, uh, I'm not saying he's insane, but he's, his methods are quite interesting. And like I said, I think he's trying to talk to, uh, two different audiences. So, okay, let's do this. Let's make it big. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about the cell membrane. He knows a lot about the science stuff, Professor Dave explains. We probably know that living organisms are made of cells. From unicellular organisms like bacteria, which are made of just one cell, to large animals that are made of trillions of cells. One key feature of a cell is the cell membrane, or plasma membrane, which separates what's inside the cell from what's outside of the cell. 
This is a very important function because without this separation, there could be no such thing as life because an organism must be distinct from its surroundings. Inside a cell is where metabolism takes place and genetic information is stored under regulated conditions or homeostasis. The cell membrane is semi-permeable, meaning it lets some things through while preventing other things. And now that we know about lipids, we are ready to understand this outermost layer of the cell in more detail. That's because the structure of the plasma membrane is similar to the soap micelles we learned about, where the molecules arrange themselves with the hydrophilic heads facing out and the hydrophobic tails pointing in, except that instead of a micelle, it is a phospholipid bilayer that engulfs the contents of the cell. It's called a bilayer because it's two layers of phospholipids, which each have a phosphate group similar to the carboxylate group in the soap molecules, with formal charges that can interact with water molecules and nonpolar fatty acid tails, one saturated, the other unsaturated, which prefer to stay hidden from water molecules. One layer faces outwards to the aqueous environment outside of the cell, and the other layer faces inwards to the aqueous environment inside the cell. That means there are two layers of nonpolar material in between. This is part of what makes this membrane semi-permeable. Some compounds are able to traverse this nonpolar section and others are not. We refer to this bilayer as a fluid mosaic because these phospholipids are not fixed in their location with respect to one another. They are swimming around and constantly changing places, like concert goers navigating through the crowd. But it's not just phospholipids in the membrane. There are molecules of cholesterol, which give the cell membrane some rigidity. Otherwise, it would be too fluid. In addition, the cell membrane is filled with many different proteins that have a wide variety of functions. Some of these are channel proteins, which float about in the sea of phospholipids and facilitate the movement of some kind of molecule across the membrane. Let's learn about these proteins and the different ways that substances can move in or out of the cell. Some molecules don't need help to get through the membrane. Small nonpolar molecules are able to go right through the lipid bilayer because they are not repelled by this nonpolar material. This is how oxygen and carbon dioxide get across, since they are tiny and nonpolar. This process is an example of diffusion, where molecules move across the membrane along with a concentration gradient, spontaneously moving from higher concentration to lower concentration, just the same way gases spontaneously fill up a room. Other molecules need help to get in and out of the cell. Some molecules can get through via passive transport, which doesn't cost any energy. This includes polar molecules like water and glucose, as well as various ions, which can move through special transmembrane proteins that connect the intracellular space and extracellular space, so that these polar or formally charged particles don't have to push their way through the nonpolar tails of the lipid bilayer. This kind of transport doesn't require energy expenditure when the particles are moving with the concentration gradient because it is an entropically favorable process. And we can refer to this process as facilitated diffusion. 
So something like a sodium or potassium ion, when moving with the gradient from high concentration to low concentration, can pass through by passive transport, which is a kind of diffusion. But when things need to move against the concentration gradient, active transport is required. Since this is an entropically unfavorable process, there will have to be an energy expenditure involved. So certain proteins, like a sodium-potassium pump, use up ATP, the molecule that is the currency of cellular energy, to move sodium ions out of the cell and potassium ions into the cell against the concentration gradient, from low concentration to high concentration. We will talk more about ATP later. Transport proteins that assist in either passive or active transport are highly specific, each allowing only a particular substance or small group of similar substances to pass through. Aquaporins move water. Ion channels move ions, and so forth. Some of these are channel proteins that remain open, and some are carrier proteins, which alternate between two conformations, like the glucose transporter, where binding with glucose causes it to change shape. And then, once glucose is released, it changes back to its original conformation. Beyond transport proteins, there are many other types of proteins in the cell membrane. There are glycoproteins with oligosaccharide chains jutting out that help cells recognize one another. There are scaffold proteins that bind with structures inside or outside of the cell to maintain cell shape and location. And lastly, there are receptor proteins that receive signals from outside of the cell. Let's learn about those next. Thanks for watching, guys. Subscribe to my channel for more tutorials. And as Remember the receptor proteins, because that's going to factor into what we're going to talk about. But <clears throat> if you look at, I want to go back to that semi-permeable wall that he was talking about. Let's see. Started way back here. Okay. I think of non-polar material in between. Okay. There we go. So you got the outside of the cell, and this is um, maybe the blood supply that's coming through here, or there's water, an aqueous uh, solution that's in here in your body because your body's 60 to 70% water. Okay. And then this is the inside of the cell. Um, and the pressure out here is greater than the pressure in here. So, but this kind of uh, creates the homeostasis, okay, to where um, this can maintain its composure and this can maintain its composure. And um, so you remember the sand that we saw that was moving back and forth like this? Now picture each one of these moving back and forth. Okay, they're not all going to move the same. Okay, each one of them is like a grain of sand. Okay, they're all going to get kind of funky. They're going to they're going to open and close, open and close, open and close. Now picture yourself um, a virus coming into here. Um, now there's there's another way that the virus can get in, and that's through an ACE receptor. Okay, but um, we'll and we'll get into that in a minute, but aside from the ACE receptors, um, let's just say that all these things are moving back and forth and down here too, okay? So like the steel ball that was in the um, in the sand, the virus 
I don't know how light a virus is or not, but um, can actually, uh, scientists say viruses aren't alive, okay? Um, I don't know if they are or not, but if they are, they have some kind of intelligence to them because they can reproduce. Um, but anyway, so if the virus goes right here, and this one moves to the right, and that one moves to the left, and this one moves towards us, and that one moves away, it's going to create a space in there for that virus to fall down through. Okay, now the virus is a lot smaller than a cell. Okay, and don't forget, you got the the aqueous solution out here, whether it's water or whether it's uh, blood or whatever. Because it's heavier, it's pushing down. So it's actually going to help push the virus into here. And then it's going to get in here. And then these things are doing the same thing. They're moving sideways, all different ways. Because of the sound waves. Okay. And then they're able to, it's able to come out and into the cell. Now that could be one way that it gets into the cell. I'm not saying it's, it's the only way, but it could be one way. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and the sand experiment that we saw just kind of confirmed it for me one day when I was looking at it. Um, and then don't forget when that's happening, some of the important stuff that's in the cell can go this way and out. So some of the stuff that's key nutrients and stuff like that for the cell can actually escape the cell. And that's going to cause a lot of problems for the cell. If picture, it's kind of like when you vomit, okay? Yeah, you took the food into you and it's starting to work, but then all of a sudden you up chuck and into wherever, toilet or out in the parking lot or whatever. And you, so you lose everything that you swallowed, okay? It's not going to nourish you anymore. So because after a virus replicates and it leaves the cell, the cell dies, okay? It kills your cells. And then that also, also explains how... Um, there could be so many blood clots because if a cell dies, it's going to be shed and it's going to enter into the bloodstream. And somehow, um, if not, it's just going to die within the body. But if it enters into the bloodstream, if something close to the bloodstream, um, you know, it's not just one cell because the viral load is probably pretty high. Um, viruses are killing cells like crazy. And then the virus mimics the cell's DNA and go somewhere else and then to another cell and then it replicate, you know, and it's just, if it wasn't for your body fighting disease um, through T cells and antibodies and stuff, um, then, you know, you're a goner. And, and that's the bad thing about the injections, the, uh, the jabs is they kill the protection that your body has naturally. Yes. They may make one antibody for the virus, but the virus, the, the antibody that they're using, that the, the uh, stem cell, not stem cell, um, you know, the cell that they have the antigen from, it's just one enzyme out of many on that virus, okay? But it's the one that helps the virus to procreate. So, um, anyway, it's, it's a nasty little um, virus, if you want to call it that. And... Uh, it's just, and then, you know, not only can it connect through the ACE inhibitors, but also if with the, if you have, let's just say if you have 5G that vibrates this cell enough, and I could never move this mouse fast enough to, to replicate it, but, um, 
then it's going to open up these things and the virus is going to fall through. And then down here, it's going to fall out into the cell. Um, so no matter what way you look at it, whether it's through ACE2 receptors or whether it's through um, the vibratory state of the cell. And don't, don't forget, this is just one cell. Okay, this is uh, one of the reasons that people get infected with viruses and other things, uh, especially with viruses, it's uh, called a viral load. Now, if a person gets one virus in them, your body could probably attack it and get rid of it. But there's something called the viral load where that they've calculated. And when I say they, I really don't know who they are, some scientists somewhere. They calculated how many viruses you actually need to take into your body in order for you to get infected to where it overcomes your, your, um, your antibodies and your T cells and killer cells and everything. And, um, so. When it does that is when it's able to take over and then your body fights it. And like with the regular flu and stuff, your body just fights it and you get over it. And then you have antibodies to that virus. Um, so anyway, I, th I thought that was pretty important to, to point out uh, using this. Okay. And don't forget that these are polarized and these are non-polarized or it might be the other way around. And what do opposite things do? They attract one another. Okay. So if the virus is, wow, it was weird. If the virus is clinging to one of these, and this is a positive charge, let's say, and these are negative down here, then the virus can actually take on a positive charge, I do believe, anyway, um, briefly, and be attracted to down here. It actually basically sucked in like a magnet sucks on, on a, or not sucks, but attracts to a piece of metal, a ferrous metal. And, um, and then once it's down here, it can just fall because it'll be the same charge as this. Now it'll just fall down to here and, and fall out. So, or fall into the cell, so to speak. So anyway, I just wanted to prep you because we're going to get into the ACE receptors now, I, I do believe. And, um, or go into virus, um, how viruses actually replicate, especially the, uh, supposed, COVID-19 virus. So, Researchers from China have used cryo-electron microscopy to show how SARS-CoV-2 infects humans. The study published in Science Let's says see. the virus targets a type of receptor found on human cells and lungs, heart, kidneys, and intestines. Citing Kingston University microbiologist Mark Fielder, Sky News reports that the virus seems to attack two types of lung cells goblet cells that coat the respiratory tract with mucus and ciliated cells that usually filter out pathogens. A previous study published in Science found the virus spike protein has two receptor binding domains, or RBDs, facing downward and another facing upward. These allow the virus to bind with and invade human cells. The virus targets a human ACE2 receptor that has bonded with an amino acid transporter. This subtype of ACE2 structure has never been discovered before. The virus uses the spike protein's up RBD to penetrate the cell. The virus then dissolves its own protein shell and releases its RNA payload inside the cell, according to British Society for Immunology. A study in Frontiers in Microbiology says a coronavirus hijacks the cell's structure to reproduce. 
The viral RNA takes over the host cell's endoplasmic reticulum to replicate itself and to manufacture the protein parts to make new viruses. According to the Society for Immunology, the hijacked cell's Golgi bodies then package viral RNA and proteins in a viral protein shell. This leads to the creation of new viruses that leave the infected cell via the membrane. The study in Frontiers in Microbiology says coronavirus takeover imposes stress on the host cell. Cell death or apoptosis is the result when the infection overwhelms the host cell's ability to maintain homeostasis. That was pretty quick. So there you have it. That's how it operates, okay, if it is a virus. I'm still not convinced. Um, anyway, let's go to the next one. All right, this is just a, um, basically a screenshot talking about uh, ACE2 inhibitors or ACE2. Uh, angiotensin converting enzymes, ACE2, uh, number two, ACE2 is not the only enzyme, but also a functional receptor on cell surfaces through which the SARS-CoV-2 uh, enters into the host cell and is highly expressed in the heart, kidneys, lungs, and shed into the plasma. Okay. Uh, interesting because what are people dying of? Heart attacks, blood problems, kidney failure, liver failure. All kinds of organ failure because the thing goes into a lot of organs and the lungs, of course. That was the first thing that people were dying of, remember? They'd stick them on ventilators thinking that they just needed air. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're, the, the, um, the lungs are filling up with blood clots, little embolisms. And man, one embolism in the lung is enough to take you out and the several hundred or so is enough to, is a death sentence. Basically, so let's look at ACE2 inceptor, receptors, excuse me, inceptors, and see what's going on here. And this is another article. Okay, and this is assuming that the, it is a virus, okay? I'm just going to read the abstract. COVID-19 pandemic is caused by a novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, uh, angiotensin Converting enzyme 2, which we heard about earlier, ACE2, is not only an enzyme, but also a functioning receptor on cells, surfaces, through which SARS-CoV-2 enters the host cells and is highly expressed in the heart, kidneys, and lungs and shed into the plasma. Uh, by the way, what is the plasma? The plasma is the liquid that the, the red blood cells are in, okay? Um, and it's the red blood cells that carry the... Um, the oxygen to your cells and take away, take away the uh, carbon dioxide. So, um, so you have dead cells going into your, your bloodstream. You have dead kidney cells, dead heart cells, dead lung cells going into your bloodstream and then branching or blocking different, uh, uh, different, uh, arteries and, uh, causing strokes and everything else. So, it's a bad scene. Okay. ACE2 is a key regulator of the renin-angiotonin-aldosterone system, RAAS. SARS-CoV-2 causes ACE and ACE2 balance disruption and, and RAS activation, which leads ultimately to COVID-19 progression, especially in patients with comorbidities such as hypertension, diabetes mellitus, 
and cardiovascular disease. Therefore, ACE2 expression may also have paradoxical effects, aiding in SARS-2 pathogenicity, excuse me, yet conversely limited, limiting the viral infection. This article reviews the um, existing literature and the knowledge of ACE2 in COVID-19 setting and focuses on um, pathophysiological involvement in disease progression, clinical outcomes, and therapeutic potential. It's a good article. Um, and it can be found at the ncbi.nlm.nih.gov forward slash PMC forward slash articles. And the article's name is, I got to give, I got to assign credit here. Um, COVID-19 angiotensin converting enzyme to ACE2 expression and tissue susceptibility to SARS-CoV-2 infection. And it was uh, published by or written by uh, Stephanie Bayerstedt, um, Expedito Barbosa Cicero, Cicero, and uh, Erica Bilavegua, I know I'm murdering that, Wrangle. So those are the three authors. Okay. Whenever you're doing, um, quoting a scholarly object, anything for that matter, it's, it covers your, your hiney if you, um, if you cite your sources that way, if anybody says that you came up with something, no, <laughs> go talk to these three authors. Okay. Next page. All right. For those of you who are on certain medications, maybe it was a good thing you were on them during this pandemic. Um, and your attention to receptor blockers. And where is this from here? Let's let's give credit here. The Mayo Clinic. Um, it's under a category called diseases dash conditions forward slash high high dash blood dash pressure forward slash in dash depth <laughs> forward slash angiotensin angiotensin dash ii or two um, dash receptor dash blockers and it's probably all you need to get to that okay i'm just going to read a portion in this not the whole thing okay all right here we go angiotensin two uh, angiotensin two receptor blockers angiotensin two receptor blockers treat high blood pressure Find out when your doctor may prescribe them. And it's by the Mayo Clinic staff. Angiotensin II receptor blockers help relax your veins and arteries to lower your blood pressure and to make it easier for your heart to pump blood. Angiotensin is a chemical in your body that uh, narrows your blood vessels. Uh, this narrowing can increase your blood pressure and force your heart to work harder. Angiotensin II receptor blockers block the action of angiotensin II. As a result, the medication allows your veins and arteries to widen and dilate. I heard several times while this was all going on that they were investigating ACE2 inhibitors, that they might be helping people either to not come down with COVID-2 or to get it less um, severe. And this makes a lot of sense. Okay, examples of angiotensin II receptor blockers. Several angiotensin II receptor blockers are available, 
which one is best for you depends on your health and condition being treated. And those of you that are on high blood sugar, blood pressure meds, maybe you were on one of these and maybe it helped you from getting this. Who knows? Um, examples of uh, these blockers include uh, Azelsartan, also known as Adarbi, Candesartan, known as Atacand, Eprosartan, I don't know if it has a brand name, Ibrosartan or Avapro, Losartan or Cozart, that's a real popular one, Almasartan called Benicar, Telmasartan called Micardis, and Valsartan called Dioban. That's another popular one. Benicar is pretty popular too. Um, when angiotensin II receptor blockers are used, let's see, in addition to treating high blood pressure, angiotensin II receptors blockers may um, prevent, treat, and improve systems of people with, who have chronic kidney diseases, heart failure, kidney failure, and in diabetes. Okay. And then it goes into side effects. And you can, if you want to, you can go to the Mayo Clinic website or just type in angiotensin 2 blockers and this will come right up for you. All right. It looks like we've come to the end of our show presentation. <laughs> so um, let's see. Let's go back to here. Let's get rid of that. Now you got to look at my mug again. Sorry, but it's, it's probably necessary. <laughs> so, um, so what do we have here that, that sound can really affect you in negative ways? Okay. Now I've been doing a little research into, um, 532 Hertz music, um, as opposed to 540, which is what common, the common scale that's used in producing music around the world today, especially in the Western world. And, um, it wasn't always 540. And, uh, what, what 540 does it, if, if you put sand on a, a piece of cardboard, let's say, I'd paint it black first. So you can see the sand. Um, and let the paint dry first. Okay. Um, and then put it on top of a speaker, uh, that is playing music, uh, where A is, uh, 540. It produces a very unorganized or sloppy looking, um, pattern on the, on the piece of paper. However, if you do 532, it's a very beautiful and organized, um, we'll put picture, uh, that sand produces on the paper. So. There are people that have investigated this. Now, this has a lot of new age in it, so you have to really be careful. Um, I've listened to 532 music. A lot of the classical stuff has been converted to it, and it sounds better to me. I don't know why, but uh, people say that, you know, you're more in tune with uh, the heartbeat of the earth. That's just all the new age stuff, you know. It's a bunch of hooey as far as I'm concerned, but... Um, you know, if it's more relaxing and stuff like that, then maybe it's something to listen to. But but if you go and look online, stick to the classical stuff because everything else is new age, meditation, relaxation music. Okay. And we don't need, I don't know what's behind that stuff, but it just doesn't sound right. Okay. Um, okay. So I've, I've talked about that now. But um, so sound can be used for good things and it can be used for bad things. It, 
It could be used to make particle weapons to destroy people. It could be used to make um, uh, sound disruption weapons. It can be used to, um, in this case, uh, in 5G, making uh, making the cells more susceptible to accepting something into them that um, that doesn't need to be there. Okay. So it's it's weird because with the with the five G it's like the um the angiotensin thing, you know, the virus was getting by it, but not so much. People weren't getting as sick, I don't think. But you introduce the five G and it's a kill shot. You know, it's it really is and it's um I don't know oh darn it. I didn't save that, I don't think. Let me look at one more thing, okay? Something I wanted to show you. And, of course, it's not here. But maybe if I... Just give me a second, folks. I'm, I'm on there with you. So, um, let's see, COVID. Okay, good. It saved the link. Okay, I'm going to show you something that's that's pretty interesting. Okay, now what I want to do, I got to do a little finagling here. Okay, so uh, let's get rid of this. Then let's go back to shared. Let's go to screen. Let's go to here. Chrome tab. Okay. Okay, there it is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Okay, just give me one more second, folks, and show on stream. Okay, I become little again. And we go to here. Okay. And I think it's pretty big anyway, so I'm not going to try to enlarge. I wouldn't know how to do that anyway. But let's read up here. Figure one, number of COVID-19 hotspot alerts by county and number of days meeting hotspot criteria from our for A, March 8th through April 30th, B, May 1st through the 31st, C, June 1st through July 15th, and D, the entire period. Uh, the United States, March 8th through July of 2020. Okay. You're going to love this. All right. I always complain because we don't have 5G in this area, and I'm going to stop that. Actually, I have stopped it. Um, I want you to look at Oregon here. See Oregon right there? Uh, this part of Oregon to the left of this line is very liberal, and to the right of the line is very conservative. Okay, this county right here, Marion County, that's where the state capital is. This county right here, Multnomah County, that's where Portland is. Guess what is in Multnomah and Marion County? 5G. It's about the only place in the state where you can get it half decently. Um, sure, probably down a little down in Medford and stuff, but if you if you have Verizon, forget it. Unless you live in these two counties or in this general area here, um, you're not going to get 5G. Okay. T-Mobile, yes. Um but I don't know. It's a lot of it's long distance 5G and it's not as dangerous. But in these two counties here, it's the really powerful high G. Okay. Let's look at Washington up here. Okay. 
here's the Seattle area. Look how dark that is. Okay, the darker means the more days and the more severe. Okay. Oh, over here, Spokane. Hmm, another city. Go over to Idaho. We got Boise's here, and I think this is um, Twin Twin Falls in this area. The two biggest cities in Idaho. 5G. Okay, here you got, in Nevada, you have Las Vegas. Very urbanized area. 5G. And here you got Reno and north of Reno. I, I can't tell you why it goes all the way up here. The, uh, the infection. I can't tell you. Unless a lot of people that work here live up here, but this is desert. There's like maybe like four or five towns up here. Um, so somebody that works in Reno, cause it's a gambling hub, uh, must live in this area and they passed it on to somebody else and it went up and up and up. Okay. California up here, north of the little, um, the right hand line here, north of that little crook right there where Lake Tahoe is, is basically rural. Okay. Very little, if any, 5G there. Then you get Sacramento County, the capital. There's the city. Okay, it goes up. You go down to, uh, I can't remember what. It's the county that uh, Stockton's in. And then the county below that. Then you have San Francisco and that area over here by the bay. That whole bay area. 5G. This, I believe, is where Fresno is. And then you see most of Southern California. Now, the Californians brag that they have 5G. Oh, we have 5G. We have fast internet. We're cool. We're awesome. Yeah, but you're also dead. Um, look at Los Angeles County. <laughs> Greater than 29 days of COVID-19 during that time. And um, one of the hotter spots. You got a little Hawaii here. That one little island. I think it may be Maui. I'm not sure. But anyway, let's jump across here real quick, okay? Tucson. I mean, um, Phoenix right here. Tucson right here. Okay? All lit up right here. Now, up here, I can't explain. Oh, except that Santa Fe. No, Santa Fe is in New Mexico. Um, Flagstaff is up here. And maybe it's spread among the native population because this is all native land right here. This is Navajo land. So is this right here. And it's Apache land too. Um, but here you have Albuquerque. Here you have the um, Indian reservations, the uh, Native American reservations. And I think that's Navajo too. Um, and then you go east and you got some more here. Now look at Texas, El Paso, a city with 5G. Okay. Oh, what do we have over here? Amarillo. I think Amarillo's there. Yeah. Another city. There's a couple of cities up here. Can't remember their names. Dallas, Fort Worth, right here. I think this is Waco, if I'm not mistaken. Um, then you got Austin. And I can't remember what cities are right here. 5G. I don't know what the counties these um I don't know where Corpus Christi is. It may be here. No, it's over here. Sorry. Um anyway, so then you got the Houston area. 5G. 
you get to Louisiana, you have Baton, not Baton Rouge. Um, yeah. No, New Orleans. Sorry, New Orleans. Baton Rouge is up here somewhere. Looks like it didn't get affected too much. Arkansas, Little Rock, Bill Clinton's country. Okay, Arkansas didn't get hit very hard, looks like. Uh, you got Oklahoma City right here. This, I don't know. Um, Kansas, oh, where's, I think Topeka's right here. Or is it here? But then you have Kansas City, Kansas, right next to Kansas City, Missouri. Cities with 5G. Lincoln, Nebraska, that area. This area is like North Platte or something like that. Uh, not very big, but a city. Uh, let's see. You got uh, South Dakota. And I think, uh, I can't remember what that city is right there. I think that's where Eric lives. Um, then North Dakota. I can't, I don't know where Bismarck is, but anyway, you got a little bit there. All right, let's go here. Davenport, Iowa. Other city areas in Iowa. Des Moines. Look at Des Moines. A city in Iowa. 5G. Uh, Missouri. Springfield, Missouri. I don't, I don't know what these areas down here. I'm, I'm pretty good with geography, but not uh, Memphis. Look at Memphis city. I think it's the Nashville area city. Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, I can't remember what's there, but anyway, all city areas in Alabama, 5G. I did that. Um, Kentucky went pretty fairly well. Oh yeah. Okay. Here we go. The whole Chicago area. 5G, Gary, Indiana, that county there, 5G, all along here, Cleveland and stuff. Like, no, it's not Cleveland. It can't be. It's Indiana. Um, I can't remember. There's cities up here. Uh, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis got hit with it. 5G. Oh, Wisconsin did pretty well. So did Minnesota, but the city areas. 5G, Green Bay, <laughs> for all you Packers fans out there. Um, Lance, oh, is that Lansing, Michigan? I do believe, yeah. And then you have the Detroit area, all around the Detroit area, 5G. Uh, different towns and different cities in Ohio, uh, different, actually West Virginia hit it off pretty well. Um Virginia, we well, have the whole D.C. area in Virginia. Is that Fairfax? No, I don't know what that is. But um, North Carolina, you have the Raleigh-Durham area right in here, city. You have Charlotte right in here, or is it over here? Anyway, city. Columbia, South Carolina, city. Savannah. No, Savannah's in Georgia. Um, The beach areas, I can't remember what that is right there. It's a city, though. Um. Florida, the Miami area, 5G, city. The Orlando area, 5G, city. Jacksonville, another city, 5G. Tampa, St. Pete, 5G. Fort Myers in that area, 5G. G, 
Okay, we're almost done here, folks. Um, let's see. Can't remember what's right there. I don't think Harrisburg's that far over. Um, anyway, all almost all of Eastern Pennsylvania, 5G. All of New Jersey, 5G. Um, Buffalo, New York, 5G. Oh, come on, help me with my another city up here, 5G, 5G, 5G. Uh, the southern part of New York State right here, all 5G. Well, it's connected to New York, of course. Uh, Connecticut, all, all cities. Look at Boston. They are Boston area. My goodness, it's crazy. Uh, Maine, Maine, Port, Portland, Maine, I think, right there. Um, little area here in, these are a couple of cities down here. Um, one of them is right on the coast in New Hampshire. Yes, New Hampshire has a coast. Um, Montpelier? I can't remember. Anyway, so every state that had a city and has 5G had large concentrations of COVID-19. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, this map just shows the whole thing for the whole, the whole time period. So, but again, you have this area, you have, well, it grew a little bit, but that's because the people lived in the cities carried it to infected area or unaffected areas. Miami, uh, Orlando, I do believe. Um, St. Petersburg, Tampa. Okay. And here it kind of grew a little bit. You got uh, Marion County. Oh, boy, I can't remember that one. And then, um, yeah, okay. Then over by the coast. There's no real city over there, so that's kind of curious. But anyway, it hit heavy in Washington. Colorado, look at that. I guess that was the place to be. Anyway. So you tell me, folks, do you think that COVID-19 was exacerbated by 5G and exacerbated means was it furthered along? Was it made worse by 5G? So my opinion is yes, definitely. Eh, Let's see. Okay, we don't want that. Anyway, okay, well, I just had a, I'm glad I remembered to look at that because it was, it's kind of the crux of what I'm trying to talk about. So anyway, folks, we've been going for an hour and 35 minutes, 39 minutes and almost hour and 40 and get a little tired. It's 1113 here on the Pacific coast on a Saturday night. So I'm going to get ready to start uploading all this stuff and, uh, get it on as many formats as I can tonight and do the rest tomorrow. So, well, in the name of Yeshua, have a wonderful Sunday. And um, uh, if Brian can't make it on Monday, uh, he's got some pretty important stuff going on. So uh, I might be here by myself on Monday, but uh, we've got other stuff to talk about. Okay. Lots of stuff. So, but I just wanted to present that tonight because it's always been very important to me. And it just goes to show that the powers that be, the evil powers that be, let's put it that way, are hell-bent on destroying the American people. 
and people all around the world too, not just the American people, the Australians, the New Zealanders, the, uh, you name it, every country in the world. And you know, what's interesting folks, how come we didn't hear anything about equatorial Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, and a lot of people call it. I wonder why that is. I know why it is. What disease is rampant in sub-Saharan Africa? Malaria. What do people take for malaria? Hydrochloroquine. Okay. So think about that. Um, it's funny how the press kind of ignored that. You know, they didn't go into that. They didn't talk about Central Africa. Okay. And I, I surmise also that Vietnam wasn't hit as hard because of that. Um, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, Thailand, and those places. Well, Thailand may be the cities because they have 5G too, but, um, all the countries where, uh, malaria is very, infamous uh, and they take hydrochloroquine or even chloroquine or even drink quinine water um hmm, interesting um i haven't looked into it by the way but um i guess a lot of you've maybe heard of tonic water you can get it and get it in liquor stores because you've heard of gin and tonic and stuff people mix it with other with alcohol and but by itself it's just quinine water Okay. And quinine was the first drug that was used to treat malaria. malaria. So I, I think it would be very smart if uh, you and I and everybody that hears this goes somewhere like a, a liquor store or something. And we pick up a few cases of uh, tonic water. And it's got to be genuine tonic water. It can't be the diet. Okay. But pick it up and just keep it in your house. It's going to last for a long time. All right. Keep it in a cool place, um, a dry place, you know. Um, and if something ever breaks out again, and it and it is this plasminid that uh, tends to be that hydrochloroquine fights, then you've got half the half the story licked right there. So um, I don't know if it works. I'm not prescribing it. I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe. But if hydrochloroquine works, and it's, uh, in my opinion, it's if it works and and it's um, anti-malarial, and and quinine was used early on as an anti-malarial, then it stands to reason, in my opinion, that um, that uh, tonic water, or quinine water, would work too. So, just a thought. Think about it. Pray about it. And if you know somebody that's informed, ask them about it too. And um, well, anyway, it's an hour and 45 minutes almost. So, hey, um, have an excellent Sunday, an excellent week. Um, I'll try to be back here on Monday night. Um, one thing you might want to keep in prayer. Um, I've been waiting for Starlink forever. Okay. I signed up early last year and then re-signed up again. I think it was October. And I, I, I go to these threads, folks, where it shows where people have gotten it. You know, they're like, hooray, I've gotten it, you know, and, and they give their coordinates and where they live in the general area. And a lot of, I heard that the people that are supposed to get it, it comes in a first come, first served basis. And a lot of people ordered it in February of last year. Okay. 
I think like five, half a million people ordered Starlink that year. I mean, in February, maybe from February to April of last year, but mostly in February because everybody got online and signed up for it. Anyway, um, so a lot of those people are getting their orders fulfilled now that the thing, the operations are back in effect and, and they, they were able to find silicone to, and to make the chips and stuff like that. But, um, I'm also noticing that it's not necessarily one first come first serve there. One guy got on there yesterday and he said, Hey, I ordered it today. And because what you do is you prepay a $99. So he did that and he got an email back right away saying, okay, pay us the other $500 and we'll send it out to you. So he did that. So in one day he got it. And those of us who have been waiting forever and ever, seems um we're still on the list wondering when we're going to get it okay now i could see starlink's um thinking in this matter because they want to get to the people that have no internet okay and people that i think according to their thinking people that live closer to a town probably do have internet but that's not always true okay we live in a rural area, a very rural farm area, uh, near Cottage Grove, Oregon. And uh, CenturyLink's out here, by the way, that is the worst company, in my opinion, that I've ever, ever worked with. Um, if they go down the tubes because of Starlink, hallelujah. Um, and they're, they're, well, let me tell you the reasons, <laughs> okay? we got a few minutes. Um we moved to this area and ordered it, you know, before we ever moved, I ordered it to be put in here. And then we got this cry sobbing story from CenturyLink, how they were working on things and our engineers hadn't quite figured things out yet. And, uh, but they were working on it and it was supposed to be done by a certain time. Well, that dragged on and on and on. And we were promised 10, 10 up, no, 10 megabytes down and five up or two up, excuse me. And I was okay with that. We probably could do the show with that, okay? So, like I said, it went on and on. Every time I talked, it was another excuse, you know. And then finally, I got an email that said, okay, well, you know, our engineers have finished, you know, call us to make a date. So I called them to make a date for them to come out. Well, the first thing I find out is that they're going to have to trench from the end of our driveway, which is probably um, – 70 yards at least um, for it, from our garage to the outside to the street. And uh, that was going to cost 300 bucks. So I was able to put the 300 bucks aside and get ready to do that. Well, they came out because my son-in-law was getting it too. And uh, they told him that the wiring that was coming up the street on the pole was old. It was made for telephone lines, not internet. And that they were going to charge us another $1,200 to put the lines in from four poles down to our pole. Then they, you know, he's a very good negotiator, my son-in-law. He negotiated with them to pay for a majority of it, which we would owe still about 500 But um, so, and then all of a sudden they couldn't do that or whatever. Oh, no, we decided we didn't want to. They were hanging on us like it was blackmail or something or extortion. So we decided, no, that's okay. Well, the minute we decided, no, that's okay, they went and put it in my son-in-law's house. 
they showed it one day and just came and put it in and uh, without notice. Okay. And, um, it ended up, he's only getting about six up or six down and maybe 512 K up, which is very unsatisfactory. And so both of us have been waiting for Starlink forever. And, um, it's just not coming through. So here we have it where effectively we don't have internet. And the only reason I can, I can do this show is because this little box right here, it's, um, called a jet pack from Verizon and it costs me 80 bucks a month to get 150 gigabytes on that little sucker. And that's not a lot, not a lot at all. And fortunately, when I got Verizon, they gave us a thousand dollars credit because we had come in with our own phones and stuff. And, um, but that's getting used up. Okay. Pretty quick. So, um, I need you guys to pray for a miracle. And I, I thank those who are supporting us already. I really do. Thank you so much. And, um, it, you've been great. You really have. And you're very sweet when you guys write to us. You know, it's, you guys are always sweet, all of you. And, um, but it doesn't cover the 80 bucks a month for the internet. And, and plus what I did is, um, I, I acquired some more internet by, um, if we had, we have the unlimited lines and if you have unlimited, you can get an extra 20 gigabytes for, or an extra 50 gigabytes for $20 a month. That's a bargain as far as I can tell, judging by what we pay for the other one. Um, so, both of our lines were, uh, or are, um, unlimited. So we were able to get, I was able to get two more, um, uh, chips. Um, and so I use those. So we get about 200, let's see. So we get 150, uh, 250. Okay. Well, with research and, and everything else that, that gets used up by the end of the month. And, uh, this month will probably be okay because they still have some residual left over on the thousand that they gave us. But the month afterwards, I don't know if, if, um, Starlink doesn't come through, it's going to be kind of dicey. So, um, you know, keep us in prayer and, and, uh, if you're able to, to help out, that's wonderful. You know, um, just write to, um, Oh, let's see. <laughs> we got so many email addresses. Uh, just write to us. Oh, wow. Check it out. We got people in the chat room. <sighs> okay. Hey, we got the usual, uh, schlemiels and schlemazels on in the chat room. <laughs> uh, they make me laugh. They really do. I know that they're upset me, but they make me laugh. Anyway. Um, so it would be, um, uh, we could do Saba David one at, uh, protonmail.com and it's S A B B A D A V I D, the number one at protonmail.com. Uh, you know, and I can, I'll, I, I really hesitate to put the, um, the PayPal link out there because I've for years and years I've, I've done this of my own accord. You know, I've, uh, I've gone ahead and, uh, just supported the whole thing, but uh, now being retired, that's kind of hard to do. So, um, anyway, just let me know. And, uh, 
again, to those who are, and some of you are sacrificing actually to do it. And I really appreciate that. And you know who you are. So thank you very much again. But uh, anyway, so let's see. What do we got real quick in the chat room? We still got eight minutes till two hours are up. And hi, much love from Norway. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much. And that person, again, we are the healthiest generation there's ever been, though. Well, I don't know about that. And <laughs> I guess this one person is getting into it with this other person. So, um, why is this video in politics? Because I don't choose where it goes. Okay, and basically, it kind of is politics. So, um, because the political powers that be are using it, this technology against us. So, if you got a problem with that, well, there are other channels you can listen to. Um, these people are on um, Twitch, and Twitch is a gaming station or a gaming um, site. So, <laughs> kind of. Aside from the, the nice people that are on here, uh, we, we often get the dregs of society <laughs> writing um, writing stuff on here. And it's, it's too bad because it's a forum that could actually be used for good and be used to give information. But uh, Plofisk, uh, thank you. We love Norway and uh, we hope that you're being blessed. Um, and I don't even know how to say that name. The guy says, bro, I love Joe Biden. Well, <laughs> uh, that, that's called a, uh, that's called Stockholm syndrome. You love the person that's trying to kill you. All right. Uh, let's see. Then the same person asks, asking somebody if they're gay. I have no idea who they're talking about there, nor do I care. I think he's talking to Plofist though, because that guy says, hell no, that's illegal. Um, Bisky is a person that's saying hello, hello, Bisky. Um, but it's also the person that's asking, or she, I don't know. Um, is the, is the video, why is this video in politics? Laugh out loud. Cause that's where Twitch put it. Okay. Write to Twitch. Tell them you don't like it being there. And maybe they'll cut you from the channel. Um, and then somebody, Zenshiro Dark Master says hi. Hi. Then Shiro, good, good to have you here. Okay, folks, well, I'm going to go ahead and end this. And um, as usual, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out and your coming in, your rising up and your lying down. May he bring you the peace that passes all understanding in Yeshua's holy name. Amen and amen. Good night, folks. God bless you. Yahweh bless you. Good night.